the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The John Steigerwald Show, sponsored by Service Master of Greater Pittsburgh. Demand the yellow van. Portions of today's program may be pre-recorded. What's going on over there in Davos? It's a really beautiful place, uh, Switzerland. Lots of mountains, snow, and snobs. Like John Kerry, you know, you look up snob in the dictionary and you're going to find his picture. It's the WEF, that's the World Economic Forum annual meeting. People come from all over the world to figure out ways to take more control of our lives uh, using climate change as an excuse. Listen to Kerry here speaking to a room full of fellow snobs. And when you stop and think about it, it's pretty extraordinary that we, select group of human beings because of whatever touched us at some point in our lives, are able to sit in a room and come together and uh, actually talk about saving the planet. I mean, it's so almost extraterrestrial to think about, quote, saving the planet. And if you said that to most people, most people, they think you're just a crazy, tree-hugging, lefty, liberal, you know, do-gooder, whatever, and, and there's no relationship. But really, that's where we are. Lefty, liberal, tree-hugger. It's exactly what he is. And dangerous and nauseating is what he is. He's actually patting himself on the back for taking his private jet over there to save the planet. He actually thinks he's saving the planet. And there are people, if he ran for president tomorrow, millions of people would vote for him. Very scary. Meanwhile, it's interesting that they have their meetings in Davos instead of, say, Cleveland, because... It really doesn't matter where they have it. Everybody just jumps on their private jet. They can go anywhere they want. But the skiing and the restaurants probably better over there in Davos than it would be in Cleveland. And they could probably add a few more years to the life of the planet by doing a Zoom call. But how much fun is that? Um, and what's kind of scary, too, is that uh, Kerry's not the only guy representing the U.S. government. The director of the FBI, Christopher Ray, is there. Now, what does he have to do with climate change? There are multiple U.S. senators, congresspeople, and governors there. Let's hope they all got to bring their spouses, and they all have a lot of fun while they try to ruin our lives. And we'll talk more about this tomorrow. I'll have a guest on to talk about this uh, tomorrow on tomorrow's show. Meanwhile, uh, Joe Biden's not having a lot of fun right now, and how much worse does it have to get before he changes his mind about running again? Lots of smart people think the classified document scandal started with Democrats who want to see him forget about running in 2024. Of course, with him, he might forget that he's president in the first place, but he, he may have to forget about it if this thing uh, gets much worse. But when we come back, we're going to talk to the author of a book called Michelle Obama 2024 about why she could be the replacement. I almost said she could be the guy, but it says she'll, she could be the replacement. And in our second half hour, we'll talk to an expert about the guy who said we had a republic and then asked if we could keep it. That would be Ben Franklin. Today's his birthday. Stick around. Hey, have you ever picked up a towel set because it felt really soft in the store, but then when you go to use it, it's not very absorbent? It's basically a towel that's leaving you out to dry? Well, that's why my pillow has developed the MyPillow towels. Towels that work. I know, it's mind-blowing. Towels that actually dry you? Their six-piece towel set includes two bath towels, two hand towels, and two washcloths. They come in a variety of colors, and right now, you can get a six-piece set for only $39.98 with promo code STAG. Go to MyPillow.com right now, click on the radio listener special. MyPillow products come with a 10-year warranty, and they have their 60-day money-back guarantee. 
To receive this amazing offer on the six-piece set off MyPillow Towels, just go to MyPillow.com, click on the Radio Listener Special, and enter promo code STAG or call 800-716-8087. That's 800-716-8087, or just go to MyPillow.com, promo code STAG. Hey, I'm Andy. I started Harry's because I was frustrated with buying razors at the drugstore. And when I say frustrated, I mean like so upset I called my friend Jeff. Hello, this is Jeff. Jeff, I'm at the store, and I don't get why these razors... Cost so much? Yeah, and do they need to look like robots? Ah, uh, dude, I know, and it's so frustrating how expensive they are. Getting ripped off sucks. We gotta do something about this. Why don't we make our own high-quality razors at much better prices? Actually, I heard about this German razor factory that makes some really high-quality blades. Really? Okay, maybe that's not exactly how it went. But we did buy that German factory, where we're turning high-quality steel into super-sharp blades for a smooth shave at a great price. Seriously, as low as $2 per cartridge. Over the past 10 years, 20 million people have tried Harry's. Join them and get your starter set now. That's a five-blade razor, weighted handle, and shave gel, all for just 3 bucks with free shipping, backed by our quality guarantee. If you don't like it, it's on us. Just go to harrys.com now and enter code MODERN at checkout. That's harrys.com, code MODERN. The word is out. People are abandoning their overpriced wireless carriers and flocking to Pure Talk for the same 5G coverage, but at a fraction of the price. In fact, the average family saves over $800 a year when switching from Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile. And switching is so easy. You can keep your phone, keep your number, or get huge discounts on the latest iPhones and Androids. Right now, you can get unlimited talk, text, and 6 gigs of data for just $30 a month. Or if you still want unlimited data... You can get that and still save a fortune. So make the switch and get the same coverage as the big guys, but at half the price. Go to puretalk.com, type in your address to find the coverage at your home, then enter promo code half off, and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com, promo code half off. Switch to Pure Talk and get unlimited talk, text, and 6 gigs of data for just $30 a month because Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. First, we decide where we want to go. Then we need to know the best way to get there. Hi, my name's Adam Barada. I'm the owner of Advantage Gold. We're the highest rated precious metals firm in the country. We teach people how to own physical gold and silver. Now, we've won the Best of TrustLink Award four years in a row because we educate our clients on how to buy gold and silver the right way. We don't pay celebrity spokespeople millions of dollars. We'd rather pass that value on to you. Call 800-900-8000 and speak with one of our experts. We'll send you a free gold kit along with my latest number one national best-selling book, The Great Devaluation. Call 800-900-8000. That's 800-900-8000. Get the best information, the best process, the best service, the best value. Call Advantage Gold at 800-900-8000. Call 800-900-8000. Advantage Gold is not an investment advisor or a tax advisor. Consult with your financial advisor before investing. The John Steigerwall Show, AM 1250, The Answer. Well, you might have noticed that things uh, haven't been going too well for the big guy lately. The next thing's going to be a top-secret document they find in his khaki pants hanging in the bedroom closet. Even some Democrats and some of the media are coming after him now. I know that's the same thing, but anyway, that's what's happening. And this could all be good news for, believe it or not, Michelle Obama. Joel Gilbert is the author of the book, Michelle Obama 2024, also produced a documentary of the same name, Michelle Obama 2024, and he joins us now. Joel, thanks for coming on the show again. Okay, great to be back. Thank you. So we had you on when um, when the book first came out. Uh, and I know there's no way of knowing it at this point, but should anybody be surprised to find out that maybe Democrats uh, who want to clear a path for Michelle are behind this classified documents fiasco? I think it's uh, we can highly suspect that this is an Obama endeavor. Don't forget that it was Barack Obama that engineered uh, Joe Biden's nomination from the beginning for the Democrat Party. You'll remember he wasn't doing very well. He lost in Iowa. He lost in New Hampshire. It was only through uh, Jim Clyburn in South Carolina where all of a sudden Biden won that primary and everybody else dropped out magically in one day. Uh, The Biden administration is full of the Obama holdovers, the entire administration from Susan Rice to Samantha Power. It's clearly Obama's third term. And I think I've established in my film and book, Michelle Obama 2024, that they have Michelle Obama pretty much... uh, positioning herself to be the Democrat nominee. She's got a new book out. Uh, 
She's had an autobiography, just like Barack based his candidacy on his personal story with Dreams from My Father. Michelle was also the keynote speaker for Joe Biden in 2020, just like Barack did for John Kerry. And Michelle's got this voter registration organization called When We All Vote, just like Barack had Project Vote in Chicago. So Michelle is clearly, clearly positioned to be the nominee. And I think to the extent that Joe Biden has been fooling around talking about, well, I'm going to run in 2024, I think he's saying that because he doesn't want to be a lame duck. But I think clearly the Obamas are pulling the strings here uh, to let Joe know he needs to you know, be ready not to run again. Yeah, you can you, you you I guess you kind of just gave us the Cliff Notes version of why you believe that she is running for president, but why do you believe and how for how long do you believe she has wanted to be president? Yeah, Michelle is a very political person. She's been political since she was a small child. Her father was a politician. He was a precinct captain in Chicago. Uh, Michelle was on the, you know, high school student council. She was always on boards of just about everything. She worked for the mayor of Chicago with Valerie Jarrett. Uh, she's more political than Barack. She's a better politician. She's a better speaker. She comes across more authentic. She uses emotion better. And uh, it's clear she's been planning this for some time. I think since they left the White House, Michelle has been positioning herself with these endeavors. The, uh, as I mentioned, the keynote speaker, the autobiography, the voter registration group. And um, she's just kind of waiting in the wings, uh, positioning herself. And I think she's going to pretend that she's kind of not interested. She'll say, well, you know, gosh, I, I, you know, I hate politics, which is a lie, but I love this country. So I'm going to form a committee to help me decide that kind of thing. She'll try to act like it's reluctant, but I think it's very well planned. And Michelle said in my film, I've got the clip where she says, uh, Barack and I do everything strategically. There's always a strategy. Yeah, and... You have also, I believe, in your book, you talk about how it started out with her uh, as kind of like the the Clinton co-presidency, and then that kind of faded away because it was, I guess she said some things that that made it smart for them to have her back off a little bit. Correct. People might remember from 2008, Michelle was out there every night to huge crowds uh, giving speeches on her own, very political, raging political speeches, and she went a little too far over the top. She said, for the first time in my life, I'm proud of my country because Barack won a primary. And that's all of a sudden people started paying attention to her and saying, whoa, she's, it's too much. It's over the top. So I think she realized at that point, they told her, look, everyone's going to hate you and you're going to damage the, uh, the candidacy of Barack Obama because you're too political. So they decided to make up this story that Michelle hates politics and she just wants to be the mom in chief. And they stuck with that and made Michelle this pop culture icon. They put her on every magazine cover 20 times. Uh, they put her in sitcoms and talk shows nonstop. So they've kind of developed her image as this forever first lady who is just so benevolent and wonderful. And she's the, really probably the most popular person in the country, if not the world, because of this 15 years of positive publicity where she did not engage in politics all the time. She does it sometimes. Like you might remember from... Uh, 2016, she gave that vicious speech attacking Trump. And after she, you know, went low on him, she said, when they go low, we go high. Or, you know, she occasionally comes through with these vicious attacks, but she's maintained this image as somebody that just doesn't like politics. So she's absolutely been positioning herself for this. And they've used that lie that she hates politics to kind of let her go under the radar for now. Hillary Clinton, um, she was... She was put in charge of come up with, coming up with a universal health care plan, which she was completely she completely just butchered it, destroyed it, and it and, and she was not making any bones about being interested in politics or or, or trying to show that she was part of a co presidency, and that I, she seemed to retreat after that, and she was in charge of picking out the drapes, you know, for the Lincoln yeah. bedroom and you know, the silverware for the state dinners. But she then came back from that. So, but she, she was, she was always in there as a politician, but Michelle seems to be trying to come back from that. And she's not, she has, she did nothing as far as, nothing that compares with what Hillary Clinton did, even even though she screwed it up. 
Well, if you're paying attention, look, Michelle did a couple initiatives like changing the uh, the diet uh, food or the food that's served oh, yeah, in public that was schools. Wonderful. Yeah. She did a couple little weird things like that, but she tried to not be too political. Uh, as soon as uh, they got out of office, of course, she started working on her autobiography. She came out in 2018. She went on this big world book tour that was very political. The book Becoming, her autobiography, is a political document. I've read it. Uh, it kind of restates her whole life history in a way that's not true. She had a very privileged childhood. She grew up afraid of black people. She talked about getting beat up by black people. Uh, they would accuse her of being talking white and acting white. She talks about being in a fist fight with a girl that called her an Oreo, meaning you're black on the outside, but you're really a white girl on the inside. Right. So she lived in fear of black people. And then she uh, went and worked for the mayor of Chicago, where her job was to knock down the homes of black people. She made about 20,000 blacks homeless when she knocked down the projects at Cabrini Green. And then having proven her callousness, she was hired by the University of Chicago Medical Center to prevent the black community from using their emergency room. Michelle would put them in these vans and dump them at these crappy neighborhood clinics. If you didn't have the proper insurance, you couldn't use their emergency room. So Michelle has a terrible history of abusing the black community in Chicago on behalf of the white liberal Democrat elites. So she set out on a, on a campaign, really, with her book to, to change history and pretend that she suffered from discrimination and racial slights. Uh, I found out one story she's been telling for 15 years. She talks about her high school counselor claiming that she racially profiled her regarding her applying to Princeton University. Well, I found out the high school counselor was a church-going black lady, so there's no way she racially profiled her. So Michelle has, is inventing a false story about her life story with her book. She just came out with another book a couple months ago called The Light We Carry. It's actually a second autobiography, and it's just Michelle trying to get favor from the core Democrat voting groups, uh, minority voters and women voters, with all these phony stories, because Michelle is really unrelatable. She has nothing in common with the black experience. She doesn't know any black people. She doesn't have any black friends. She never did. And she wants people to think that she's kind of one of them. And that's what she's been up to for the past several years, trying to uh, make people think she's something she's not. We're talking and by the way, you can see the film, by the way. You can down live stream or get the DVD on SalemNow.com or get the book or DVD on Amazon. Yeah, the book, the, the author we're speaking to right now is Joel Gilbert, and in the book is Michelle Obama 2024. That's the uh, title of the, the film also. Um, if, if I were running against Michelle Obama in two years... My and I was debate, and I was in a debate with her. And I would try to get the question in. I would say, "Well, listen, it's very nice that you're running for president, and uh, if you were not named Michelle Obama, if you if you had not been married to the president, what would qualify you to be president, much less run for it?" Well, today, look, Trump won because he was a popular television personality. Uh, so Barack Obama won the presidency having done really nothing. He was a you know, state senator for yeah. a couple of years in Chicago, and then he was a U.S. senator. He mostly spent his time running for president. So you don't really have to have too many qualifications these days. She'll cite the fact that, well, I lived in the White House. I saw it all. Yeah, I traveled right, the world. Right. I met the queen. I, I, I met all these world leaders. You know, I was an executive in Chicago. So she'll make the case that she's experienced enough. But she's such a pop culture icon now. I don't think people really care that much. But uh, if you're a Republican in a debate with Michelle, the first thing you say to her is, Michelle, are you going to apologize for what you did to the black community in Chicago? Mm -hmm. Are you going to admit what you did to the black community, how you, you used them and exploited them for your, to make money off of, off of exploiting them on behalf of other people? That's a, a question that she's going to have to answer, and it's going to be very difficult for her because she's trying to build up this fake story that she can identify with, with regular black folks, which she cannot. One of the first moves you talk about, as you mentioned here, is, is you write a book and then you go on tour. I think uh, she's just like her husband. You, you mentioned she's written two autobiographies already. She's, I think she's still in her 50s, so she has, she has another one probably to, to go here. Uh, but you, you wrote about going to an event to promote her book in December. How did that go? That's right. She had the final tour stop here in Los Angeles uh, of her new book, The Light We Carry, and Oprah Winfrey was the questioner. They sit down on stage, and Michelle answers all these political questions. 
And it was like a campaign event. I got there two hours early thinking I would just get there early and spend my time relaxing and looking around. And there were already thousands of people lined up to get in who already had tickets. And it was just like a campaign event. You get in there, people are buying stuff. And then they have a, a guy, a D- DJ on stage, and people are dancing and singing for 30 minutes and screaming and getting all worked up. And Michelle came out, and it was like God just arrives. And then, of course, it's supposed to be a book about her life, and Oprah asks her all political questions, all about the Obama administration, how she sees the world. I think it's literally a campaign 2024 I went to. She just hasn't announced it yet. Yeah, and you mentioned in a piece that you wrote for The American Thinker that it was obvious that it was Oprah there uh, and that she's a TV person and a producer, and this was a produced event. And you mentioned that... The, the, the questions were political. There's no way that there's something that's that well produced that doesn't include the the uh, the star of the show, Michelle Obama, being well aware of every question that was going to be asked of her and being involved in which questions that she requested to be asked of her. That's right, because what they were doing is every time they asked a question and Michelle would start to answer, uh, they had a giant screen behind her and they would... Uh, broadcast these still photos of whatever Michelle was talking about. So obviously the questions were pre-planned, and they included mostly political questions. And you just have to ask yourself, why is Michelle running around the country with her When We All Vote group registering minorities and women to vote? Why is she putting out these autobiographies? Why are they so political? Why does she lie so badly in these autobiographies to try to recast herself as someone she's not? It's clearly, I think, because... They decided that Michelle will be president. Look, the Clintons never went away, and the Obamas are like them. They're never going away. And this is Act Two, where Michelle, who is the most popular person in the country, and she can make anything seem plausible. The media will say, Michelle is ahead by 10 points in every swing state, and it's kind of believable. If she, she wins the presidential election, it'll seem believable. If they put Kamala Harris or Joe Biden or one of these people up there and they say they're way ahead or they won, it's not going to seem believable. People will think it's all cheating. So Michelle kind of checks the boxes for everybody and makes the whole thing seem plausible. Yeah, and Oprah asked her if she would consider running for president. So she had to know that question was coming and was, was prepared yeah, for that. Yeah, look, I was, I was surprised they asked that, but uh, that was in the, in the mix of questions that were prepared. And I think it just puts the idea out there for people and by the way, when she asked that question, everybody kind of clapped and were real excited. And they, then they were kind of quiet to kind of wait and see what she would say. Um, and it was interesting. Her, she didn't deny it. She just kind of said, oh, well, I want to be the one to decide. And the country's kind of too divided right now. I wouldn't be interested right now. So she, it was just an effort to keep Michelle Obama as a presidential candidate, the idea in people's mind. And I think that's why Oprah asked the question. And... Uh, Biden was expected to announce he's running again in the next few weeks. This whole uh, this uh, fiasco with the uh, documents, the uh, the top secret documents, may throw a little wrench into his operation. But if he does have to bail out, how long before Michelle jumps in? There's a couple things on the dates here. Uh, Barack Obama did not announce for his second term until April of that year. So really, Biden has till April, even May, he could push it. He certainly doesn't want to be a lame duck, so he doesn't want to say he's not running. He'd rather tease the idea that he's still running. It gives him a position of power. Once he says he's not running, he's kind of an old man and lame duck, 80 years old, and we're just waiting to get rid of you, and it kind of diminishes his presidency. So I don't think he wants to admit it. Uh, It may have gone to his head a little bit, and he thinks he he can be 86-year-old president in the future, so he's kind of toying around with it. But I think clearly the powers that be – and the Obama organization decided to reveal these, uh, you know, these documents. Uh, it's so easy for them. If someone came across those documents, they could just throw them away. You know, why do you need to announce it and make an issue of it? I think they're sending, uh, uh, you know, Biden a message. Now, up until November of this year is when you have to start registering for primaries, for state primaries. So really, for someone like Michelle to jump in, someone who has universal name recognition, universal popularity, Michelle has the ability to raise $100 million in one week after she announces. So there's no big hurry. So uh, I expect Biden either to delay it as long as possible. 
he could delay it till uh, you know April, May, June, and say he's not running. Or interestingly, he could say he is running to kind of freeze out everybody, and then an excuse to drop out in the fall. He could say it's health or or Hunter or the uh, documents, anything. But I don't think uh, no Democrat wants Biden to run again. And clearly, Michelle Obama is the only alternative. I've got 10 seconds. Will she do it if he doesn't say he's out? Yeah, you know, Biden won't stand a chance. No one will stand a chance, not Kamala, anybody against Michelle. So, yeah, Michelle Obama, 24.com is the website. You can see the trailer and link up to buy the film or buy the book. Okay, thanks, Joel Gilbert. The book is Michelle Obama 2024, same name for the film. We'll be right back. With SRN News, I'm John Scott. Republican Senator Tom Cotton says until both the House and Senate Intelligence Committees get a chance to look at the classified documents found at President Biden's office in garage, one has to speculate about what's in them. I mean, they could be about Iran and China and Russia, maybe things that Joe Biden wanted to write about in his memoirs and inappropriately took classified papers. Maybe it's, paper, maybe it's things related to Hunter Biden's international grifting uh, that he wanted to try to conceal from posterity. Senator Cotton was interviewed by the Salem Radio Network. Authorities say a New York City police officer was shot and wounded in his police car in the Bronx earlier today. They say an armed 16-year-old boy was arrested near the scene as the injured officer's partner rushed him to the hospital. The Dow is down 315 points, the Nasdaq up 23 This is SRN News. Attention, this is a special alert for all Americans who own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles with an overpriced auto warranty or no warranty coverage at all. Due to the increase of new and used car prices, repair costs, and the price of gas, people are keeping their cars longer than ever, which is why CarShield is announcing a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan to save any driver out-of-pocket expenses on covered auto repairs. Call now to find out how you can save thousands for covered auto repairs. Yes, you heard that correctly. You could save thousands on future auto repairs. Our specialists are standing by for all drivers to call for a free quick quote. Call 800-279-7495. Vehicle protection plan pricing is at an all-time low. Plus, drivers who purchase this coverage today will receive rental car options, free roadside assistance, and free towing. Call 800-279-7495 now for your free quick quote. That's 800-279-7495. What do you have to lose? Call 800-279-7495. Again, 800-279-7495. Dr. Sebastian Gorka isn't sweeping this under the rug. Classified documents from Biden's time as vice president discovered at Penn Biden Center. When is the FBI going to raid the many homes of Joe Biden, perhaps even the White House? That's an interesting question. These documents were definitely not declassified. America First with Dr. Sebastian Gorka. Afternoons at 3, right before John Steigerwald at 5 on AM 1250. The answer. What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. She said sometimes you just got to hold on and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up. Hold my hand. (laughs) No, you hold my hand. Here we go. Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by AdoptUSKids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. The new year gives us the opportunity to make resolutions. You may have goals focusing on your physical, mental, or financial health, but have you considered your legal health? This is Jay Hagerman of Abernathy and Hagerman. You may have been putting off updating your estate plan or creating one altogether. We provide free consultations in order for you to finally check the box off your resolution list. Whether you want to discuss the difference between a will or a trust or the functions of a power of attorney, we'd love to talk to you. To schedule a free consultation today, visit a-h.law. Hey, John Steigerwald here for Johnny and Jesse Samick, my friends over at Service Master of Greater Pittsburgh. When disaster strikes your home or business, demand the yellow van. Fire, water, or mold, Service Master's technicians are trained and equipped to get you back to normal fast. Even when dealing with insurance, you have a choice who repairs and cleans up the mess. Make sure you demand the yellow van. Call Service Master of Greater Pittsburgh. Demand the yellow van. Call 
We'll see an evening shower in places, otherwise cloudy skies expected for tonight with a low of 39. A thick cloud cover tomorrow, tomorrow's high 43. Periods of rain tomorrow night with a low of 36. Cloudy skies Thursday with periods of rain and a thunderstorm in the morning, followed by a thunderstorm in spots of the afternoon. Those storms could bring hail and damaging winds. We'll reach a high of 55. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Drew Shannon. This is the John Stackerwalt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. Now, Ben Franklin is right up there with Washington, Adams, Jefferson, Madison when we talk about the founders. The difference with him, though, is that he, he never became president. I don't know if you know it or not, but uh, today is his birthday. I'm kind of a history guy, especially when it comes to the founders and the revolution. So I thought we should give Ben a few minutes today. Um, Brenda Hafera is Assistant Director and Senior Policy Analyst at the Heritage Foundation Center for American Studies, and she joins us now. Brenda, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So uh, when I contacted Heritage Foundation and asked for someone who can talk about Ben Franklin, you were the person that they told me to call. So uh, I guess the first question should be, is Ben Franklin underrated? Does he get enough credit for the founding? I think Ben Franklin is underrated, and maybe that's because he was a bit of a jack-of-all-trades. Ben Franklin was actually famous and got renowned internationally, not for political reasons, but because he was a scientist first. People knew him for many of his inventions, including the lightning rod, but Ben Franklin did all these sorts of things. He retired young. He retired in his 40s, but he was actually a lifelong public service servant. He wrote a number of articles under pseudonyms, including Silence Do Good, and of course, Poor Richard's Almanac was Benjamin Franklin. And then he had the political career where he was a diplomat, and he was the elder statesman at the Constitutional Convention. So headlines were going out beforehand about this convention that was supposed to take place to revise the Articles of Confederation. And the headlines were that Washington and Franklin were going to be there. And that really gave credibility credibility to this gathering, that those two statesmen were going to be present. Well, interestingly enough, when you think about who we have as president now, uh, by the time the revolution came around, by, uh, Ben Franklin was already well into his 60s, maybe older than that. Um, he would have, And that was very old back in the 1770s to be 60-some years old. Might things have been different, do you think, uh, based on his personality and what he ended up doing if he had not been so old when they finally got around to having a little revolution? Well, it's, it's hard to say. Uh, he was, I don't think he was probably quite as um, sharp-minded at the Constitutional Convention as he would have been, of course. But he had already accomplished quite a bit, and he was still a contributor to the Constitutional Convention. And that at the end of it, someone asked him, this Constitutional Convention had been held in private. It had been done in secret. And it was in the hot summer in Philadelphia, and all the doors were shut, and all the windows were closed because this was this private gathering. And of all these accomplished founding fathers like James Madison and Washington and Franklin. And after the convention was over, someone asked Franklin famously, what kind of government do we have? And Franklin said, a republic if you can keep it. And what he meant by that was that the continuation of the experiment in self-government and its perpetuation would depend on a citizenry that was willing to defend it as a republic. And this was something Franklin was very concerned about, about 
perpetuating a culture and a public morality that would actually continue a republic, a citizenry that was active and informed and public-spirited and self-reliant. So this is something that Franklin really, we owe a lot of gratitude to him for. We're talking to Brenda Hafera. She's Assistant Director and Senior Policy Analyst at the Heritage Foundation Center for American Studies. Um, so uh, do you think he would believe that we kept it? Well, I think he would believe that is an ever-enduring question. None of the founders believed that this project was theirs alone. It would always depend on generations coming after them. They were always concerned not only for themselves, but for their posterity. And they set up these mechanisms in place, like separation of powers, checks and balances, and all these things to try to encourage a virtuous citizenry. But ultimately, each generation would have to decide and actually prove to themselves that they were worthy of contributing to this project. So I don't think Franklin would be surprised of this is always a continuing question. Well, when he was doing all this, there was a king, and the people, there was, uh, this whole revolution was about self-government. Was it, do you think, because he, he was asking if you, uh, I don't know if you people are ready to govern yourselves, because you're, you're getting rid of the king because you think he has too much power, but you're asking for the power to govern yourselves. Are you ready for that? Right. I think that is that is the question. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that the founders decide, they're they're pretty optimistic and they're pretty confident in the American people. They ultimately do think that the will of the people should prevail. I mean, we are a system where it is majority of rule. It is consent of the governed that ultimately reigns. But they are not in favor of a direct democracy because they had studied their history and they saw that direct democracies are often chaotic because people do things in the impulse of the moment that they wouldn't do normally when their better reason and their better judgment had prevailed. So America is going to be a republic where we have these mechanisms like checks and balances and a bicameral legislation and all of these things, what they do is they slow things down. So it takes time to pass a law. And today we complain about this because mm. it seems like it's inefficient and it takes too much time. But that's actually on purpose because what that time does is it gives people and it gives our representatives the opportunity to deliberate and to come to a reasoned consensus. And so that's actually, that system is on purpose, and it serves a very good purpose. So he'd have probably been okay with the the vote for McCarthy, or the non-vote, whatever it was, 15 or 16, before they finally elected him. He he wouldn't have been panicked by that. Well, I think... The way the media were. to say, but I don't think he would have been surprised by it, right, mm-hmm. of of all these po- this politicking. This is nothing new, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, um, he was an inventor, a philosopher, a business, uh, and a businessman. But was he much of a politician? He he certainly was. He served as a diplomat in France for quite a long time, and Franklin was very likable. He was, you know, kind of a a very likable miscreant, we could say. And so he was he was a politician. He was uh, a man of the people. He wrote in his autobiography a list of virtues, and these are virtues that are not that are not high-minded, aristocratic virtues. They're more homespun virtues that we practically would recognize are good things, like frugality and industry, order and tranquility. These are things that he thought the common man 
was capable of becoming because Franklin really did have a lot of confidence and a lot of respect for the humble common man. He himself considered him considered himself to be one of those. He came from very humble beginnings and rose through the ranks. And he was fond of saying that he was the youngest son of youngest sons for five generations back. So Franklin himself really encapsulated the American story. Has he become a bigger deal over time than he actually was when he was alive? Or how big of a deal uh, and how well-known was he? I mean, I know he was well-known, obviously, but how big of a deal was he during his lifetime? And, and how aware was he of what a big deal he was? He was he was a very big deal during his lifetime. So him and George Washington were the most well-known statesmen coming into the Constitutional Convention. And it was kind of assumed that if either of those men hadn't been present, that the Constitutional Convention never would have happened because they really lent it credibility that this Constitutional Convention, which the purpose of that convention was just to revise the Articles of Confederation, which were too weak and there was not a big enough central government. It was still individual states operating. And these delegates came together to revise the Articles of Confederation, but came out with a whole new constitution. And it's hard to imagine that if George Washington and Benjamin Franklin had not endorsed that constitution, it's hard to imagine, or at least the political fight would have been more severe over ratifying the constitution. Benjamin Franklin was only one of six people who signed both the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. And he had a long career as a diplomat and as a scientist and was a very well-known individual in America. Well, uh, I'm getting back to the Republic, which, which he created, it's interesting to me, some kind, it's kind of annoying to me, actually, that even staunch conservatives, people like uh, Tucker Carlson, who I watch a lot, he constantly refers to our democracy. And that's not what we have. And when you tell people that, they look at you like there's something wrong with you. And you just, you just explained it. They, that's the last thing they wanted was a democracy. And that's the word that everybody uses. Uh, when they're talking about January 6th, they're saying they threatened our democracy. And we don't have one, do we? That's right. It was, it, America was not intended to be a di- direct democracy. It was intended to be a republic and a mixed regime. And that was something that the founders thought was the best means of providing some checks and balances. A direct democracy is where you just come together and you directly vote. And we have processes in place that slow things down and try and combat passion in our system because everybody knows that if you you will often do something that you regret in the heat of the moment that you would not do if you had time to think about that like and getting so, rid, yeah excuse me but like getting rid of the filibuster that's <laughs> you might regret that wouldn't you <laughs> i'm sure there are some people who regret that yeah, and so that's but those things were those those ideas come from the idea that you don't want a democracy. Yet there are I would say ninety percent at least of the time when people in the media and people in government talk about our government, they they refer to it as a democracy. And you'd think that they would understand the difference, but they don't. And and it's interesting that that quote from Franklin, his most famous quote is about a republic. It's not, he did, they didn't say to him, what kind of government did you create? He didn't say a democracy, because that's not what they created. That's right. And, and we need to be, the state of our civic education system in America is quite poor. I think at this point, 
only about 30% of Americans can name the three branches of government. And that was something that Franklin was really concerned about. Mm -hmm. He advocated for more public libraries because he thought the people needed to be vigilant about their liberties and be a kind of people who was willing to stand up in defense of their privileges. So Franklin would have certainly advocated for a stronger civic education system and for people to be able to understand the reasons for choosing a republic over a democracy. We're talking to Brenda Hefera, finishing up here. She's Assistant Director, Senior Policy Analyst at the Heritage Foundation Center for American Studies. Um, he has not been um, threatened with being canceled the way Washington and Jefferson have been. Did he own slaves? Um, Franklin was devoutly against slavery, and that was one of his accomplishments, is speaking out against slavery and uh, furthering abolition. Anybody, did he own slaves? Ever? I believe he owned one slave that he freed. I believe that's correct, so but I'm not positive. How do you think he'd feel about the college he founded, the, the University of Pennsylvania, which, which has been in the news a little bit lately, by the way? <laughs> well, he would have been happy uh, as someone who was an advocate for the education of, of the common people. He would have been an advocate for public education, but I'm sure he would have had mixed feelings about the current happenings of our higher education system. Yeah, I wonder how he'd feel about them taking money from China. But that—that's another—that's another story. That's a—I don't think he would have ever foreseen that. But hey, uh, I appreciate you coming on. It's uh, Ben Franklin's birthday, and I—I I wanted to—I just like talking about him. He's a very interesting guy. We didn't even come close to covering all the things that he did outside of being a founder. But I appreciate it, Brenda. Thanks. My pleasure. That's Brenda Hafera from the Heritage Foundation. We'll be right back. Hey, have you ever picked up a towel set because it felt really soft in the store, but then when you go to use it, it's not very absorbent? It's basically a towel that's leaving you out to dry? Well, that's why my pillow has developed the My Pillow Towels. Towels that work. I know, it's mind-blowing. Towels that actually dry you. Their six-piece towel set includes two bath towels, two hand towels, and two washcloths. They come in a variety of colors, and right now, you can get a six-piece set for only $39.98 with promo code STAG. Go to MyPillow.com right now, click on the radio listener special. MyPillow products come with a 10-year warranty, and they have their 60-day money-back guarantee. To receive this amazing offer on the six-piece set off MyPillow Towels, just go to MyPillow.com, click on the Radio Listener Special, and enter promo code STAG or call 800-716-8087. That's 800-716-8087 or just go to MyPillow.com, promo code STAG. My son Finn was born with congenital heart disease. He ended up spending about the first eight months of his life in the hospital. During that time, he endured 10 surgeries, including an open-heart surgery. Starlight Children's Foundation has played an important role in my family's life. For five weeks when he was a baby, Finn lived in a Starlight Hero wagon. You could not understand the pure joy of having him go from a hospital bed into his favorite red wagon. Starlight doesn't just give items that hospitalized kids can use to keep themselves happy, but also memories, moments, and experiences which are so needed in times like these. They allow sick kids to just be kids for a little while. The support that Starlight provides to families like mine is an integral part to creating happiness at a time when there's very little to be found. Learn more about how Starlight Children's Foundation brightens the lives of sick kids by visiting starlight.org today. From America's number one travel radio show, this is your RM World Travel Minute. I'm Mary Carey. Thanks for joining me today. Mind the gap. Those famous words are seen and heard in London's underground to help passengers navigate the gap between the train and the platform. And today, January 10th, marks 160 years of the famous London Underground's inaugural run, making it the world's very first subway service. Known by its more common nickname, the Tube, on January 10th, 1863, the London Underground opened with about 40,000 passengers riding the train the first day. Nearly 20 years later, the line was 
carrying 40 million passengers a year. The first line ran from Paddington Station to Farringdon Street and took about 18 minutes. Ventilation was critical for these early steam-driven trains for the health of operators and passengers. But by the 20th century, underground tunneling improved and the trains had become electrified. Today's London Tube serves 270 stations and counts itself as one of the largest underground rapid transit lines in the world. But it will always be the first. You can find more travel info anytime at rmworldtravel.com. And as always, happy travels, everyone. The John Steigerwall Show, AM 1250, The Answer. Well, let's finish up with a little uh, Benjamin Franklin, I don't know if you call it trivia, but he did spend his years, uh, we mentioned at the end uh, with Brenda there, uh, he he did uh, take over as president of Pennsylvania Abolitionist Society in 1787, but he did own, it says here, two slaves, both of whom worked as household servants, but in his old age he came to view slavery as a vile institution that ran counter to the principles of the American Revolution. So he got that. But um, and this, is, this is really interesting to me. First of all, he was a really good swimmer. He's, he's in the Swimming Hall of Fame. I don't know if you knew that. The, guy, the, guy, uh, he's, <laughs> the guy's done everything, including make it into the Swimming Hall of Fame. But when he died in April 1790, Franklin willed 2,000 pounds sterling to his birthplace of Boston and his adopted home of Philadelphia. It came with an unusual caveat. For its first 100 years, the money was to be placed in a trust and only used to provide loans to local tradesmen. A portion could then be spent, but the rest could re- would remain off-limits for another 100 years, at which point the cities could use it as they saw fit. This guy was a wild man. Boston and Philadelphia followed Franklin's wishes, and by 1990, their funds were worth $4.5 million and $2 million, respectively. The two towns have since used the windfall to help finance the Franklin Institute in Philadelphia and the Benjamin Franklin Institute of Technology in Boston, and Philadelphia has also put some of its funds towards scholarships for students attending trade schools. And uh, he... I think he I think he had two years of schooling. He dropped out. I don't know if total schooling, but he was not a college graduate and pretty smart guy. But he is a member of the International Swimming Hall of Fame. I don't know what he did, but he must have been a pretty good swimmer to do that back in 17-whatever. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye. John Steigerwald Show is a production of Salem Media Group and sponsored by Service Master of Greater Pittsburgh. Demand the yellow van. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.